Good morning and welcome, man. Go ahead and look to the person to your left and just say, man, you look good today. And then don't hate on the person on your right. Go ahead and look at them and say, you look good today. (laughs) Man, it is so good to see you here with us today. This is Easter Sunday, and this is where we get to gather, and we believe that, listen, that he is not dead, that Jesus is not dead, but that Jesus is alive. So come on, can we lift up a huge shout of praise one more time this morning? Well, my name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here at Foundation Church. And listen, we are just so excited to get to bring this word to you today on Easter Sunday. This day is also known and recognized as Resurrection Sunday. And you can see the story of of Jesus' resurrection throughout all four of the Gospels. And today we're going to be looking and connecting with some people there in the story because as we'll find... As we'll find in our text today, that this good news that we proclaim today, that it was actually not easily received. That there was, uh, that this resurrection was really, it was as inconceivable for the first disciples, as impossible for them to believe as it is for many of us today. And there's a verse that we're just going to be going to be landing on. It's in John 20, 14. As I begin to pray and I begin to prepare for today, and begin to look at the scripture and all the resurrection texts. This is the one that shook me. This is the one that stood out to me. It says in verse 14, it says, She turned around, she being Mary Magdalene, who we're going to learn so much more about, says she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And I just began to see this piece of scripture. And just be like, how is this possible? How is it possible that Jesus is literally standing right in front of her, but yet she cannot see him or she does not recognize him? How is this possible? But then I begin to think about my own life. Gentlemen, I'm going to pick on you for just a second. Listen, you ever just had that moment where your wife or your mom or your child says, hey, will you go into the kitchen and get blank out of the fridge? And here's what we do. We get up out of our chairs. We walk over to the kitchen. We open the door and we begin to stare like this. You know, this is the look. This is, this is the stance. And we look in and these are the words that we proclaim. I can't see it. Right? 100%. And then if you're my wife, what she will then call out and say, well, did you move anything? And of course, to that, I would, she knows what the real answer is. But I'll say, yeah, a couple of things, but I just can't find it. And then reluctantly, here's what my wife does. She stands up. She comes into the fridge. She opens the door. And what does she see? Sitting right in front of me. Exactly what she told me to find. Right? Amen to all the men in the room, too. We just struggle to see what is right in front of us. You ever have that saying, if it was a snake, it would have? That's right. Every single one of us, we have this central connection, and that's where I hope to land today, is that, is that why is it that we can't see what is right in front of us? Why is it that we struggle to see things that are right in front of us? Well, if you look at psychology, you actually see that we all have these mental blind spots. And these mental blind spots that we have is that really it is us looking through the world in a particular perspective. And this perspective that we have, it has been shaped 
over the course of our years by different experiences, different, different beliefs, different thoughts, different teachings, different influencers that has all shaped the perspective that we have. And this perspective is really how we see the world around us. But whenever we look at these blind spots, really blind spots don't start as blind spots. Blind spots are really how we see things. And then oftentimes we'll have somebody come into our life that would begin to help us see differently. And we say that oftentimes it's, it's our eyes that change, but it's really what ends up happening is that once something is exposed, our perspective begins to change. And we begin to see things differently. And so my hope for today, on Easter Sunday, is to look at our text today and to understand what shapes our perspective and to show you how the kindness and love of God, how it breaks through to allow us to see clearly what is right in front of us. If you have your Bibles or if you have your phone and you want to follow along with us, we're actually going to have the text on the screen. We're going to be going to John chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And and I want you to just continue to think about what is my perspective? What is my perspective? What shapes my perspective? We're going to begin in verse 1 together. It says, Now on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So our opening scene this this morning, it begins on this solitary figure who is walking through the darkness. Mary Magdalene and some of the other gospels, she is not alone, but there are actually some other women. But what you actually do not find in this text is you do not find disciples who are with her. But you see that it is the disciples who are still in their homes, fear that what has just happened to Jesus may happen to him. But we see Mary breaks out of her fear and is the first one to the tomb. And see, we look at a couple things that are consistent. Throughout all of the Gospels, we see two things clearly. That this is the day, this is three days after Jesus was, was, was crucified, and then it is Mary Magdalene who goes to the tomb first. But what does she find? What does she find at the tomb? She actually sees that the seal is broken and the, to- the, the, tomb, the stone that covered the tomb has been rolled away. Now, i got to ask this question, how is this possible? How is it possible for the stone to be rolled away? And I say how, because if you look at just a few passages before in Matthew 27, we actually hear of of the Pharisees go to Pilate, the one that said, okay, we will crucify Jesus, who go to Pilate and says, hey, we have heard his teachings that actually say that he will be raised from the dead on the third day. And here's what we want. We really don't believe that that's going to happen But we really want to prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body as if to start this coup that, yes, he really was raised from the dead. So he asked Pilate, said, Pilate, would you give us a guard? And then also, Pilate, would you allow us to seal the tomb so that no way possible could it be broken or could it be touched? And what does Pilate do in 65? Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, when we look at the story, what did Mary see? Mary seen that the stone had been rolled away, that there was no guard standing by, and there was possibly an empty tomb. But what did Mary expect to see? What did Mary expect to see on this morning? 
She expected to see that the, to- that the tomb was sealed shut. She expected that Jesus' body would still be there. You see, if you ask William Waddell, he said, hey, William, what happens to those that you bury three days later? And he'd be like, nothing. They stay dead. And you have this connection point here. What was Mary expecting? That Jesus would be right where they laid him three days before. That the tomb would not be unrolled, but that it would be just they have found it. But you got to ask, why didn't Mary expect more? Why didn't Mary expect more? And I, and I asked that question because just a few chapters before this, actually, if you go to Mark, you will see Jesus over and over. He says to the disciples, I will rise on the third day. You see this in Mark 8. You see this in Mark 9. And yet again in Mark 10. But actually, you find in the scene, nobody is expecting the resurrection from the dead. Nobody is expecting this. Tim Keller, he puts it this way. If you were the gospel writer, Mark, trying to write a credible piece of fiction, and you have had Jesus saying repeatedly to his disciples that he would rise on the third day, wouldn't you have at least one disciple thinking this through? After Jesus' death and, and saying to the others, hey, it's the third day. Maybe Jesus has been raised to life. Let's go to the tomb and check it out. But what you find is that there is no account of this conversation happening. You find that nobody there, that none of the disciples were expecting on this day Jesus to be raised from the dead. But Mary, in her response, she sees that the, that the tomb or that the, the stone had been rolled away. And what is her response? Well, she immediately, in verse 2, it says, she ran and went to Simon Peter. And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid them. And so we see that Mary, what she found, she expected to still see, see, see the tomb sealed. And then you see even further, upon seeing the tomb not sealed, she then began to construct this belief and make these assumptions. And she says that someone has stolen the body that someone has taken this body of Jesus. So what was Mary's overall perspective? You see, what we find here is that our perspective, every single one of us, our perspective is shaped by our expectations and our beliefs. Mary was not expecting the resurrection. She was expecting Jesus to still be in the tomb dead. You see, what we pay attention to is largely determined by the expectations that we have. And then what do we find that Mary believes? Not that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that someone had stolen the body. But upon hearing these words, we actually get to tune in to what was Peter and this other disciple's response. In verse 3 it says, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. And both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. We just got to pause. That is just hilarious that they literally had the world's first foot race being documented here, and somebody loses and somebody wins. It's incredible. And stooping to look in, this is Peter. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which, he, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And when the disciples went back, then the disciples went back 
to their homes. See, we find Peter and this other disciple. They ran to the tomb. They stepped into the tomb. And what did they find? They found that the tomb was empty. But they also found that the grave clothes were lying as if they had been undisturbed and the face cloth was neatly folded. If you're going with Mary's first belief that someone has stolen the body, I highly doubt that grave grave robbers will take that extra attention to fold things nicely. That doesn't happen. Nobody ever goes into a home and robs it and leaves it better than they found it. But you can see this question, what did they believe? After seeing the empty tomb, what was their belief? You see, Peter and this disciple, they ran, they looked in, but I believe they were just so unsure about what was happening. Jesus tells us that the beloved disciples saw and believed, but what did he believe? Did he believe that Mary was correct, that someone had stolen the body of Jesus? Maybe. Or did he really believe that something miraculous had happened? You see, act one of this scene, we find Mary going to the tomb. Act two, we see We see Peter and this disciple who come and experience the tomb, but we see that they just simply go home. They just simply go home. There are no shouts of joy. There is no extreme celebration. There is nothing that is different about them. It seems that the emptiness of the tomb does not seem to have made a difference in their life. They are seeing it. They have perceived something incredible, but they are unsure of what is happening, unsure of what to believe. And here's one of the connections I want to make is that oftentimes, this is where we find ourselves, is that we have this moment where we see something that we can't explain. We see something that is different than our perspective and different than our, un, than our expectations, but we really don't know how to handle it. We can't deny what we are seeing, but we are unsure of where to place this upon our beliefs and upon our expectations. You may find yourself in the same place. When you proclaim that there is a risen Savior and you begin to see other people experience this, maybe you ever see other people experience this in their life, you are left in the same place that the disciples are, unsure of what you have seen and unsure of what to believe. But we continue on in our story. The two disciples, they went home. But we actually find Mary, she stays. It says, verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. You see, in Mary's mind, this is one of the darkest moments of her life. Not only had three days prior had she experienced watching the closest person to her be crucified on a cross, but now she is finding a tomb that is empty and she is grieving that she is not able to give the one in which she loved a proper burial. And she is just consumed. She is just consumed by grief, by this weeping, and all of the assumptions, all of the beliefs that she has made has led her to this perspective, grief and cries of desperation, griefs and cries of desperation. But in verse 12, see something unique happens. It says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. 
You see, this is one of the first instances, or the only instances, where literally angels come and are present to the disciples or to, the, to those who love him, and they don't freak out. Most of the time, they are met with angels, and they have just such immense fear, and they are just so consumed by what is happening in front of them. But we see Mary's response is very different. She just begins to continue to communicate what she believes. And she has continued so consumed by her grief and by her, her beliefs, by her expectations, that she can't even see clearly who they are. And she continues to communicate with them. Would you please just tell me where the Lord is? Can you please just tell me where I can find him? Her thoughts are consumed. Her perspective is full, once again, of grief in these cries. But we see something unique happen in verse 14. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. And this is where we started. If you remember with verse 14, it says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. You can imagine in this moment that there's probably the two angels and they ask like, hey, why are you weeping? And you can almost see them like, like she doesn't know, does she? And then they, they kind of like do like this look behind her. You know what I mean? As if they see pastors like, Hey, just, just turn around, Mary. Just turn around. And she catches their eyes, and she begins to turn. But what does Mary think? Mary does not recognize her. It continues on in verse, 14, verse 15. It says, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Once again, she even gives him a name. She even gives him a title. You can see her assumptions and her beliefs has now identified him as a part of what is happening. Jesus is standing in front of her, and she perceives that he is a gardener, but she continues her plea. When Jesus speaks to Mary, she does not recognize him. And here's something I wanted to just think about. That, that she did not recognize him because she was not looking for him. Now you could say, what was she looking for? She was looking for Jesus's body, okay? And then where do you look for, for dead things? You look for dead things among other dead things. But here Jesus is standing and she was not looking for Jesus as someone who was alive. And so she did not recognize him. She did not recognize him. And Jesus asked Mary the same questions that angels had asked her moments earlier. Woman, why are you weeping? But he adds a further question, who are you looking for? You see, what we find in this text, and this is a beautiful connection point for each and every single one of us, is that Jesus knew why she was weeping, and Jesus also knew what she was seeking. Jesus knew why she was weeping, but he also knew why what she was seeking. And here's what I found in my life, and, and I want to encourage you, is that Jesus, that right now, he knows why you're grieving. That Jesus knows what you're struggling with. Jesus knows how you are suffering. Jesus knows your past. He knows your present. He knows you. And even further, he doesn't just know what causes you grief, but he knows deep down what you are seeking. He knows you. And this is an encouragement to each and every single one of us. Jesus knows your grief, and he knows what you are seeking. Are you seeking hope? Are you seeking joy? Are you seeking love? Are you seeking forgiveness? Are you seeking life? Are you seeking a Savior? What is it that you are seeking? 
And Jesus, with his words, he indicates to Mary that he knows something about her dilemma. But we see that Mary's grief is still blinding her to the truth. She nevertheless seems to discern that this gardener, though, holds the key to her quest for the Lord's body, and she pleads with him. She pleads with him to convey any information that he may have to her. He says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him. Please, she is continuing her cry of desperation. You can see in this moment, as we continue on the story, that Mary has expectations, that Mary has these beliefs, Mary has this, this incredible grief, Mary has this perspective that she has built up. And here's what is so beautiful is this question. How does Jesus break through Mary's perspective? How does Jesus break through her perspective? And here's what's incredible. He breaks through her perspective with one word, with one word. In verse 16, we continue on. Jesus said to her, Mary. And in this moment, it says that she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai. You see, Jesus answered her with but one word, Mary. And I just want to step into this moment with every single one. Could you just imagine being in her shoes? Could you just imagine for a moment what it would have been like, what it would have felt like to have literally your entire, just this whole, this whole evening be consumed by your beliefs and your expectations, this new grief that has come into your life on top of the grief you've already been experiencing and the incredible perspective literally changed to go from, from grieving to joy in a moment when he speaks her name. You see, Jesus chose in this moment to speak to her in a way in which she understood. To speak to her in, in something that she knew. To speak in a way that she had heard before. When he says Mary, he is saying it with a cadence. He is saying it with an inflection that she knows. And in that moment, her perspective changes. I began to share this message last night and just tell my oldest son, Asher, just all about Easter. And we spent some time, I thought, you know what? Let me just try my sermon just a little bit on my five-year-old. You're talking about one of the greatest challenges of my life, to literally convey this to my five-year-old. And I began to tell him about the story of how this woman named Mary went to the tomb early and was the first one there. But I said, Asher, it was empty. It was empty. I said, she was looking for, for Jesus wasn't there. I said she was saddened, she was grieved, and she just wanted to see Jesus. I said, and here's what's crazy, son. I said that Jesus, he actually wasn't dead, but he was alive. And I said, you want to know how he, he actually spoke to Mary, how Mary actually came to see and to know that Jesus was alive? I said, Asher, Asher, Jesus spoke her name. And I began asking this question. I said, Asher, I said, do you know my voice? He said, yes, of course I know your voice. And then for about five minutes, we began to just have the conversation. Like he just began to share with me all the moments. You know, five-year-olds, they just start going. And you're just along for the ride for the next five minutes. He said, yeah, daddy, I know your voice. 
I know whenever, whenever I'm outside playing and you're inside and you call Asher, I know that you're, I know that you're there. Or, or I know that whenever you come home from work and, and you get out of the car and you start talking, I begin to hear your voice. I know your voice. And he also knows the way in which we say his name. His name is Asher. And if I say it like this, I go, Asher. Oh, it's just said with love. If I say it that way, there's so much love. It's just like, oh, just so proud of you, Asher. But then there's another way I say it, and we all can connect in this way. Whenever I go, well, Asher David, whenever I turn his name from one name into two, we all know that there's some smoke coming on the tail side of that, if you know what I mean. We all know that middle name, man, it is not, not it's just like, why does it exist? It exists to know that, listen, something, something's changed. He knows the tone. Whenever I go, Asher, David, there's a different tone that's happening that means something very different. But then the last one is that oftentimes we'll call him Ashy. We'll call him Ashy. And whenever I say Ashy, it's just like, son, you are just bringing me just such a joy. I just cannot even believe that you are mine. I cannot even believe that I get to be your daddy. I cannot even believe just the incredible boy that you are and that you're going to be. So I just call him Ashy, and just joy floods my soul. And he knows the way in which I use his name. He knows the language. He knows how I connect with him. And here's what is so profound, is that in our story today, in our testimony, how does Jesus choose to break through the perspective that Mary had? He chooses to call her by. Her name, Mary. And immediately her perspective changes. Immediately she hears. Immediately she knows. Immediately, in one word, Jesus, he breaks through the barriers that would not allow her to see clearly. And here's what I want to say to you today is that in one word, Jesus, he can break through your barriers that are not allowing you to see clearly. Listen, Jesus will use one word to break through your expectations. Jesus will use one word to break through your beliefs. He will meet you right where you are. He will speak in a way in which you have heard it and which you will understand it. He is consistent in that he speaks to us in a way that we can hear his voice and know that it is him. This is the testimony of Mary and this is the testimony of so many in the room that when Jesus calls, calls us, he calls us in a way in which we understand. You see, the barriers that are not allowing her to see fully and clearly who is standing right in front of her are her beliefs and her expectations. And listen, these two things, they are powerful. Your beliefs, your expectations, they are powerful. And here's what they do. They will limit what you can see, and they will definitely limit what you don't see. They filter our perceptions, and they are always in motion. And that's why sometimes, here is what I want to challenge you with today, is that sometimes in order for us to see clearly, we must suspend our unbelief for just a moment. And I know, I know that many have come into this room today already saying, Jesus rose from the dead, no way. You're already coming with this mindset of unbelief that this did not happen, that this could not have happened. And here's what I want to challenge you with today. Would you just suspend for just a moment your disbelief 
just for a moment, would you allow yourself to see a different perspective? Would you allow the Lord to speak to you today in a way that he knows you'll understand? Lay down your expectations. Lay down your beliefs and see how God speaks to you. Listen, knowing that beliefs can limit what you see, what might you be able to see today if you believed something different? Our testimony, it ends in verse 17 and verse 18. Jesus said to her, now that she sees clearly, she said, he says, do not cling to me. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? That the one that you just thought was dead, the one of which you love, is now standing before you. You now fully recognize him. What would you do? You would give him the biggest bear hug that you would have ever given anybody. But we actually see in the Gospels that they don't even do that. That they literally fall on their knees and they begin to cling to his feet. But Jesus tells her, said, Mary, do not cling to me. And he actually gives her a mission. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Listen, at this point now, Mary, she is communicating something completely different, that she is not communicating anymore that Jesus' body has been stolen, but she is now communicating that Jesus is not dead, but that Jesus is alive. And how do I know he's alive? Is because I have seen him, that I now recognize him, that he is not dead, that he is not alive, that yes, the tomb that we once seen, it is empty that there is no guard, that the seal has been broken, but it's not because somebody has stolen him, but it's because he is back to life. He has been raised from the dead. Jesus is alive. See, I begin to think about this passage. I begin to see my own connection. You see, she sees the Lord in a new way. She sees the world with a new perspective, new beliefs, new expectations. You see, at the beginning, they didn't see the importance of the things that were happening around them. They didn't understand the words of Jesus. They didn't understand why the stone had been rolled away. They didn't understand why the guard wasn't there. They definitely didn't understand the angels or see the angels. And there's this thought that came to my mind that says, there's a difference between seeing something and seeing the importance of something. You see, most of the things you see, they don't do anything to change your perspective. Imagine if I told you to look at this table. This table is just an object. This table does not change your perspective of how you see the world or of the vision of the world. But what you see is that there are certain things that you can perceive that can make you change your perspective. That there are certain things that when you see them, they completely and radically modify your vision of how you see the world. You see, ultimately, this is a day to be celebrated. This is the day above all days to be celebrated because he is not dead. He is alive. And it is these words, it is Mary's testimony that we can connect with and see how our perspective can be shaped by our expectations and our beliefs, but how Jesus gladly, willingly meets us right where we are in our unbelief, in our own perceptions, and he breaks through 
You see, what does Mary's testimony mean for us? The first one is I want you to feel connected today. I want you to feel connected that, that even Mary, that even Mary missed it. She missed what was happening right in front of her. She had these expectations. She had these beliefs. And I know that maybe today this is right where you are. I just want you to feel connected today. But what is beautiful is that Jesus did not leave Mary there. Jesus did not leave her in her unbelief. She did not leave her in that perspective, but he spoke her name. She saw clearly. And so the second connection that I want to share with you is that we, we have shared Mary's testimony today. We have shared this incredible story of Jesus' resurrection today. And why do we share it? So that we may believe. John 20, 30 through 31 says it this way. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the story that we have read, the other instances of the gospel. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Listen, what was said... And what was seen has been shared so that we may believe. So that we may believe. What has been seen, what has been shared, what has been said, what has been seen has been shared so that we may believe. Listen, every Memorial weekend, me and my family, we have this tradition. And just like many of you all, we'll go to the grave sites and the cemeteries and we'll put flowers on our, on our grandparents' graves and our parents' graves. And just begin to have this connection of remembering those who have gone before us. But every single year, we do something a little bit unique. Is that we don't just put flowers on, on those closest to us, their graves. But we actually then begin to walk around. And we begin to talk and we begin to share stories. Or, or they begin to share stories with us of just all of the different people that have gone before us. Our great-great-grandfathers, our uncles, our cousins. And they begin to just share a little bit about them. Every year we do this. But this past year, there was one name that really came to life. And it was Avery Wilson. Avery Wilson is my great, great grandfather. He was born in the 1850s, lived to be, or lived to be almost 90 years old, died in 1942. That is some good genes, y'all. That is some good genes. Almost 90 years old. And we began to just see his name. I began to ask my father. I said, who is Avery? And he began to share with me a little bit about who he was. He even said, you know, Avery was a preacher. Uh, and he was just a humble man. He was, he was a man who loved deeply and greatly. And then he had heard stories of, of his father telling him about Avery. And over and over, from generation after generation, we got to hear who Avery was. And it went so far as I began to research just a little bit. You know, Googled Avery Wilson. And my dad, he gave me an obituary that gave me more clarity about who Avery was. And see, I share all that to say that what we have today, what the Lord has given us today is the testimonies, is the word. You see, as my father shares with me of those who have gone before us and what they were like, listen, I do not do one thing. Sure, I may have questions. I may even have some confusion. I may even have some thoughts about him. But what I do is I take his word because I know that that word has been passed down 
from generation to generation of who Avery Wilson is. And I believe the connection point is, is that today, Listen, we are celebrating Easter Sunday today. For over 2,000 years, people have been gathering. People have been sharing that Jesus is not dead, that he is alive. For generation after generation, we have received this word. And not only have we received the spoken word, but we have also received the written word of the testimonies that have come. And why have they come into this world? Why has Jesus brought them to us? So that we may believe and that we may have life. You see, we tell stories so that we can remember. But today we share the testimonies of those that we see in scripture so that we may believe and we may have life. Now listen, no, we do not find ourselves in the garden with Mary. We were not lucky enough to be there when he spoke those words. We were not lucky enough to be Thomas who got to, to put his hands through Jesus' hands, put his finger in his side. We were not there for that. But these words are right in front of you. The testimonies of those in this room are right in front of you. That Jesus has been seen, that those testimonies have been shared, and they have been written down, and they meet us right here where we are. And God, in his grace and mercy, he sent his son who died for our sins and conquered death through his resurrection. And praise be to God that today, on Easter Sunday, that he is alive and he calls us by name. He calls us in the voice that we know or in the way that we may understand. And he begins to open our eyes to see him, to see what he has done for both you and me. Jesus today, we proclaim, is alive. And this, my friends, is incredible, incredible good news. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment as we just reflect on his word and we reflect on what God may be speaking to you today. Over 30 years ago, my papa gave his life to Jesus on an Easter Sunday. And with every Easter Sunday that has passed, there is that incredible hope that Jesus can do the same. When we gather in his name, when we celebrate, when we speak his word, that today that Jesus can do the same that he did for my grandfather. My grandfather, he was a crazy and wild man, but on the day he met Jesus, his eyes were open. Love filled his heart. Joy began to be the emotion that he embodied. And he began to proclaim every single day of his life that God sure has been good to us. And so here's what I want to do is that I know that every single one of us in this room, that we have a perspective, that we have expectations and we have beliefs, that some of you today, that you now see clearly what is right in front of you, the incredible hope of Jesus. But we also know that today that you are where we once were, that we have our expectations, our beliefs, they're set in stone. And we have this perspective and we come in here and we hear about the resurrected Jesus and we just begin to question, we begin to be unsure but here's what I pray is that just for a moment, would you just suspend that disbelief? Would you just for a moment open up your eyes and open up your ears to hear the incredible good news that Jesus came for you, that Jesus died for you, and that Jesus got out of the grave for you. Your sins are forgiven. Death no longer has its sting. It no longer has its hold on you that we are free in the name 
of Jesus. And let me proclaim this. You can receive it right here today. Scripture's clear. If you believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. If you believe that He came for you, that you believe that He died for you, you believe He got out of the grave for you, that He will meet you. He will speak to you. He will save you. And today, listen, we want to know two ways. We're going to share with you two ways that you can let us know. The first one is there's some cards in your seat. If today you have made that decision to follow Jesus, we encourage you to fill out that card. And then the second step is we have our incredible prayer team that's going to be up here at the end of service. They love to pray with you. They love to connect with you. They love to help you on this journey of following Jesus. Today, church, we proclaim that Jesus is not dead but that Jesus is alive. And this is good news. Would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, we thank you, God, so much for meeting us here in this place. We are thankful today that Easter Sunday that we get to come in, God, and we get to celebrate those three words, that he is alive, that your son Jesus, that he came for us, that he died for us, God, and today we celebrate that he is alive and that through him we can believe and we can experience life. Lord, today I pray for all of those who are in this room who are just like Mary, whose perspectives are being challenged, whose beliefs are being challenged today, God. I pray that you would just speak to them. You would just speak their name, God, and they would receive it. Lord, we love you today. We are thankful, God, for meeting us in this place. Continue to be with us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.